Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, yo, Dev, what's going on? What's going on? Nothing much. Just just chilling, getting some much needed rest. Um, so that's pretty good. Also that's preparing good. for to to hear these results for, for the, the midterms. Um, we're recording this a little bit early, so I don't know yet. <laughs> yes, we don't know. Anxiety is building up, you know. It's, uh, I'm feeling good about it. Um, just because of the numbers and the people are doing early voting and the, the support, like it really does feel like a presidential election. So it does. I'm scared though. <laughs> so me and John, we're actually, we're not even going to watch the coverage. We are going to be in Chicago. We're going to be at Hamilton. We're going to see Hamilton on Tuesday night. And so okay. we'll, we'll just <laughs> figure it out after. Enjoy the show. You know, don't check your phones. You know, stay, <laughs> keep them off. And just, I guess, right after the show, I know what y'all going to do. They're going to look at them phones real quick. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like we want something to be nice and beautiful about that day, just in case. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, after 2016, I, I just I just stay cautiously optimistic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a little depressing, I ain't going to lie, the vibes after that one. But, you know, I think I just feel like everybody's like, OK, we got to get this guy out of here. We got to stop him. <laughs> But, you know, and in the, in the, in the historically it's shown, you know, more people will turn out, just the better it goes for, for Democrats. For Democrats, so. that is true. That is and true. So all these numbers I'm seeing seems like a good sign. Yeah. What's up with you, though? Nothing much. Um, you know, it's been crazy busy per usual doing this search, uh, teacher classes, you know, this doing the search, man. Like I said last time, this stuff is like, it's a lot. And I don't know the next time I'll be leading another search, but this will be it for a while. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, you know, how did did you volunteer for that? Did you get selected? Did you? Yeah, I mean, they pretty much. I, I it was like I was going to be on the committee anyway, but because the position is for I'm the I'm the director of the concentration, and so we're hiring you know somebody to be working with me. So I guess they just was like, it right, makes man, it makes sense. Yeah, you're gonna be the <laughs> the chair, and I was like, uh, okay. But I mean, so like the, the application stuff isn't what is, you know, most difficult about it. It's just like now when you're starting to get those in camp on campus interviews, you got to like plan, help plan the logistics of everything. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. making sure everybody can meet, getting the questions ready. You got to do all the paperwork on this side, getting the dean, make sure they can meet the department head. And it's like all of that stuff is like, man, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out to uh, to all the people that make the logistics happen, including Utah. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And that's funny because like it's things you don't think about, like when you're on the market, you know what I'm saying? You're just like, oh, I got to get ready for this interview. I got to nail it. But now when you're on the other side, it's like, all right, we got to make sure everything is ready. Everything's prepared. So everything goes smoothly for the candidate, you know, because you want them to have a good impression, too. Not be like a little sloppy mess. Otherwise, they won't work with you. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but all right, we got some since we didn't have no old Lord news for our last week. We got some old Lord news this week. We do. We right. do, definitely. All right, let's check it out. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening old Lord news of the week. 
join us as we present news that'll make you want to say, Okay, so this first story is a is a little wacky and it happened in Scotland, but you know, it's possible that something like this could happen in the US. So this is just a warning. <laughs> so a man uh locked himself alone in a room with a bulldog and covered his uh genital area with peanut butter. <laughs> and you know, A few hours later, he was discovered unconscious in his room in a pool of his own blood. And um, the dog had eaten his um, penis and testicles. What the heck? Yo, that's some wild. That's a wild story. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But I mean, uh, I don't know. People are into some crazy things like, Uh, y'all. Be be careful out here if you're into some crazy things. I have, I have no words for this story. <laughs> <laughs> no words. Is it worse than our first, very first Oh Lord news story when the cop got caught uh, sucking toes? Do you remember this, that? This, that? Yeah, this, they're up there. This one might be worse because this is just crazy. Like this dog down there killed you. Down there killed you, man. You want to do something like that? All his, the only, all his clothes was on, but the only thing that was uncovered was, you know, that and it had peanut butter on it. Like, why? Why would you do that? (sighs) Okay, that one sells itself. Okay. And less crazy news, but more upsetting. Um, I don't know if you remember in 2016, there was a black woman doctor on board Delta Airlines. Um, They had called overhead. They needed a doctor. And when she, you know, came to the rescue, uh, they were like, "Uh, are you really a doctor? And they doubted her and, you know, they didn't allow her to help. Well, supposedly they had put uh, some new uh, protocols in place uh, that would prevent that type of embarrassment for them because the woman, of course, was a doctor, but clearly they have not learned from their mistake. Um, mm-hmm. On the flight last week, Dr. Fatima Cody Stanford, who, you know, works at Mass General Hospital and is also a medical school instructor at Harvard Medical School, mm-hmm. was on a Delta Airlines flight when the person next to her, you know, went into distress. She began to try to help them. And so when a flight attendant came over, you know, they asked her, was she a doctor? Uh, She said that because she's accustomed to people just doubting her, you know, she doesn't look like a doctor as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, She always carries like uh, the wallet size, her wallet size medical license. So when she presented it to the um, flight attendant, the flight attendant was like, you know, is this real? Are you really a doctor? And that the flight attendant was like, are you a head doctor? And it's just kind of like, this patient is in distress and you're doing that. She said the flight attendant went away and then a second flight attendant came over, asked to see the license and again was like, "Um, are are you a doctor? And they, they just went on and she's like, why are you questioning this? Why would I carry somebody else's? Because they asked, was it hers? She's like, why would I carry anybody else's medical license yeah. with me? So, 
Y'all don't let y'all racism get y'all killed on airplanes yeah. and stuff. Are you going to let somebody like die because you don't trust their credentials, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even have to do all that, but she sold the license and that should, that should be it. That should be it. And the fact that she seems like a very reasonable person. She's like, I understand that because of the images you might see in the media when it comes to doctors that you might not associate a black woman with as a doctor. Therefore, I carry my credentials just to put people at ease. And then they doubt the credentials. Oh, yeah, somebody going to be walking around with a fake doctor's ID. Like, for what? <laughs> that don't even make no sense, man. Like, that's crazy. That's a crazy assumption to even believe that. Like, just just let it be, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Delta tried to say, like, oh, it's one of our uh, pr- provide uh, our, our other carriers. It's not Delta. We'll make sure they're trained. Nah. Oh, my goodness. No, they, they work for you. That's your company. That's your name. Take responsibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in, in other wild news, did you hear that some white right wing uh, activists tried to frame Mueller for what? sexual assault? No, I missed this one. Yes. So they actually um, they looked up women who had worked with him in the past, like at a law firm. And uh, they, you know, contacted them by email, contacted them by phone. And, you know, they asked them to speak on like some um, like secure application. And in the secure application, I think it's called um, Signal. In this secure application, they propositioned some of these women to pay off their credit card debt and give them $20,000 if they would come forward and say that Mueller had sexually assaulted or harassed them. Wow. And the lady who brought it to the news was like, it was really scary because the guy offered to pay off the credit card debt and told her exactly how much debt she had. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. They're going two extremes to get this, uh-uh, to set somebody up. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it even went a little bit further because one of the people, his name is like Wall or something. His last name is Wall. He posted a picture and was like, I'm coming forward with one of the, the victims of Mueller. And he blanked out her face, but he was so stupid that he didn't realize that Like, just because he blanked out his face, he didn't blank out anything else. And the picture had previously (laughs) been posted online. And the woman whose face he blanked out was his girlfriend. He had posted the picture in the past. Goodness, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, come on. Oh, that's too easy. That's too easy. Too easy. So, you know, it's just crazy. People are like scared. They're trying to discredit um, people and it's mm-hmm. it's scary. Yeah, it's getting wild out here. Yeah, I, I don't know. Times bombs, false accusations. Oh, yeah, bombs getting sent to people, shooting up synagogues, man, places of worship, accusations, man, like Trump trying to get rid of the Fourteenth Amendment. Like, <laughs> what is going on, man? We are in wild uh, times for sure. I really pray for some positive news on Tuesday. Just like, whew, just just give us something, man. Yeah. Give us something. Give us some peace yeah. of mind. 
And in our final Oh Lord news segment, which relates to today's topic and with people losing their minds um, and just being out there in the world, um, there seems to be trouble in black GOP paradise. Uh, Kanye is back <laughs> uh, backtracking. <laughs> Candace Owens is getting in Twitter wars with Tommy Loran. I don't know, <laughs> you know who that is. And it's just, it's just a mess in black GOP land. <laughs> I know they're shaking in their boots now because midterms covered a few days away. <laughs> Yo, it's crazy. But what do you think of Kanye backtracking, saying he wants to get out of politics? You know, his eyes are wide open. You know, he sees that he's been used. It's a major side eye, multiple side eyes. Yes. I was using emojis. <laughs> That's funny. I actually read that uh, some of it or that... It might not necessarily be genuine, but Mm -hmm. that Kanye has uh, people have been putting their money where their mouths is Mm -hmm. mouth is and they haven't been supporting him. I think his last album, Ye or something like that, you know, it didn't sell as many copies as you would expect for somebody. Yeah, that's why he's coming out with another one supposed to be this month. And Yandy or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, supposed to come out on the 23rd. Uh, He's supposed to have like the I think I think I don't know if it's Adidas, but it's some type of sneaker deal. And so people are worried about money. He has become such a polarizing figure. And the thing is, although these Republicans are boosting him up, they aren't listening to his music and they aren't going to buy his clothes. Nope. Is the people that he's alienated that, you know, would normally support him financially. And mm-hmm. mm, yeah, I streamed not one of his songs on his last album. You know what I'm saying? I did no downloads, no not support this man. Not at all. You know, usually when new music come out, I'll stream it, you know, listen to it. But I'm like, nah, I ain't giving you a penny, not a listen. <laughs> and I've heard that. um because he recently also, I think it was like the day before or the day after or whatever, because, um, you know, he, he released his shoes and the Yeezys and uh, they did poorly. Um, he just released a new shoe, a shoe or whatever, um, a style of shoe. And it was actually like a lot of the people, I even saw tweets about it, like a lot of people were shocked because it was actually available. Because every time he releases his shoe, it's always been sold out immediately. You know? mm-hmm. And you can, people are like, yo, I can literally just go to the Adidas website right now and purchase them. And it's like never happened before. So that's also a sign that people ain't buying his shoes like they once was. Yeah, because you know? I, I could have sworn, like you said, I could have sworn that Yeezys were a thing. And people, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that they were still available. So everybody's like, "Uh oh, so now he comes out with this whole apology of oh, his album ain't selling like he used to. His shoes ain't selling like they used to. Yeah, man. Uh, we tried to tell you, bro, like you messing up, but you keep wearing that MAGA hat and you keep feeling like Superman. <laughs> actually, actually, to quote Kanye, don't ever fix your lips like collagen and say something where you might end up apologizing. <laughs> See, maybe listen to your own words, man. <laughs> Yo, you, I, when words. I tell you, Ty, I am somebody that like knew every damn Kanye lyric. And like you said, I this is so serious to me. Like you said, I haven't streamed nothing. I haven't even streamed the old stuff that I mm-hmm. love, but I'm just like, I don't I have time for you. And also, you're not going to use me for a come up again. You can't just, uh, you know offer a fake apology and think that that's gonna mm-hmm. yeah. you know uh, solve no more words with Kanye on my I end can't. 
it has to be nothing but actions at, from this point. But yeah, I mean, yeah, just to end the Kanye thing, you know, like I, I think it's just all about no more about words, just just action now. We need to see some stuff, buddy. You can't just write a tweet and be like, sorry, and then think you about to get everybody's support, man, and you're trying to come back over like I was... I was manipulated. I was used. No, you weren't. No, you all weren't. your buddies, all your famous buddies sat down with you, tried to explain, tried to give you a second chance. And you came right back out with the MAGA hut, telling Trump you love him, giving him hugs. So <laughs> you, you give me superpowers, Trump. <laughs> well, tell Trump to buy some of them shoes then, buddy. <laughs> buy some of them Yeezys. <laughs> Yo. Oh, man. Wow. Okay. So on today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about Black conservatives. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll be interviewing the author of a book called Black Elephants in the Room, The Unexpected Politics of African-American Republics. Uh, I said Republicans. (laughs) Um, His name is Professor or Dr. Corey D. Fields. um, And his work is awesome. Yeah, no, this was great. Um, we think this was a, you know, we didn't actually plan it like this to have it come out around this time, but it's no better time to have this discussion because, of course, this episode will come out right after midterm elections. And and there's not much things we talk about when we talk about black Republicans. I mean, we all see all the celebrities, you know, uh, taking part in it, like Kanye and others. Um, but now we're trying to, with this conversation, we're actually getting into the nitty gritty, like, what, who are black Republicans and why do they choose to be black Republicans and, you know, just providing some context to this particular group of folk um, outside of the celebrities that we see? Um, let's, you know, have more conversation about who actually make them up and and differences between them. And there were some interesting things I learned about it, you know, because like many of you and I'm sure you'll figure out in this interview, you know, myself, we kind of have the one stereotype of once we see somebody that's a black Republican, you get the eye roll and, mm-hmm. and you know, we call them the uncle Tom's and we can't trust them and they're not really black and all this stuff. So all of that stuff is definitely addressed in this interview with, with Dr. Fields and, and his research. Yeah. And it's funny cause I'm, I'm on Amazon right now looking at the book. There are only two left in stock. So after this interview, those two are probably going to be gone. Cause it's a really <laughs> sell, sell out, buy the books, you know, sell them out um that's funny so yeah so check it out check out the interview i think um you know i think it's an interesting topic and i learned a lot and it's something that probably will probably want to talk about further in the future as well and um even his his future research agenda which we uh address in the interview too is pretty interesting and compelling too but without further ado you ready to get into it dad i am all right we'll catch up with y'all afterwards What image comes to mind when you think of Black Republicans? Most often, people envision Black Republicans as the sellout, the Uncle Tom, or even Kanye West in a MAGA hat. Today, we complicate those images by interviewing Dr. Corey D. Fields, an associate professor of sociology at Georgetown University and author of Black Elephants in the Room, The Unexpected Politics of African-American Republicans. His 2016 book explores the dynamic relationship between race and political behavior in the United States. In the interview, we discuss the book, myths and misconceptions about Black Republicans, and the potential for a Black wave in the Republican Party. Welcome, Dr. Fields. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. No, yeah, Yeah, we are really excited about this conversation, especially given the (laughs) recent uh, 
events that have happened in D.C. Yeah. around black Republicans. It just so happened yeah. that that event happened. But we did not we did not reach out to you because of that event. It just it just kind of happened like that. So we're we're serendipitous, right? The yeah. universe is aligning to set this conversation off. No, I, yeah, I definitely uh, figured um, the timing was was great to be taping this uh, after all the stuff with uh, Talking Points USA and um, Candace and the new clothing line I heard about. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before before we get into all of that, um, which, like you said, is a lot, uh, we want to know a little <laughs> bit more about you, uh, your work, and like what led you to academia and this particular topic. Yeah, um, so... Let's see, a little bit about me. So, as you said in the intro, I am uh, an associate professor in the sociology department at Georgetown University. Uh, this is the start of my second year there. So, before that, um, I was an assistant professor at Stanford. Um, and before that, I was in grad school at Northwestern University in the sociology department. So, um, I mean, I guess I had a little bit of a untraditional pathway in academia. I mean, it's not that untraditional. I mean, I, I didn't go to grad school immediately after undergrad. So I worked uh, for like six years um, in the private sector uh, in advertising, actually. Uh, so I worked for six years in advertising, and a lot of that work actually involved um, sort of consumer research, brand strategy kind of work. Uh, which in a lot of ways was very sort of sociological, right? It in, involved doing a lot of independent research. Um, and I got really interested in this idea of, you know, studying people just for studying sake. Um, but the trick in the private sector is you only got to study stuff as long as someone else was willing to pay for it. Uh, so I would often find myself, you know, engaged in topics, but not really able to sort of direct uh, the nature of the research or the length of it or the depth of it. Um, and so I started to think about, you know, I guess I'd probably been about four or five years in the job at that point and started to think about um, what were avenues where I could sort of research the stuff I wanted to research on my own terms, on my own time kind of deal. Um, and academia was, you know, academia was, was the end where I ended up. Uh, I mean, I thought about, maybe going into consultancy, opening up a consulting company, independent consultancy. But I ended up in academia. And why sociology? I mean, I guess this is just one of those full honesty podcasts um, and points to the power of serendipity in life. So I was considering social policy programs as well as sociology programs. And it just so happened that the professors that I contacted from my undergrad program the ones who got back to me were sociology professors. So, <laughs> so yeah, so if my social policy prof had gotten back to me sooner, this conversation might be looking very different. Um, so, yeah, so I got went, went into sociology, uh, went back to Northwestern for grad school. I was also there for undergrad. And, yeah, and so, yeah, and here we are today. Um, I guess, how did I end up doing the uh, Black Elephant book? Um, so I... In grad school, uh, developed a pretty strong interest in culture identity, um, specifically thinking through, you know, sort of how who we are shapes what we do. Um, and as part of that, I got interested in sort of people doing unexpected stuff, right? So people engaged in activities you wouldn't expect people like them to do. 
partly because of, uh, or mostly because of an interest in um, sort of how we socially construct people like me or people like them, right? Um, and so out of this interest in unexpectedness, I started thinking about, you know, what are some groups of people who are unexpected? Um, and Black Republicans came up. Uh, so I didn't come to the project out of a deep sort of unabiding interest in politics or political behavior or political actors, um, that more developed over the course of doing the project. And so in some ways, I think, you know, it was nice that I came to it kind of backwards, right? Like I didn't come to it uh, because I was interested in politics or had a particular sort of partisan agenda in terms of like writing a fluff piece about black Republicans or a hatchet job about black Republicans, right? Um, for me, black Republicans were just this really interesting case of unexpected people. So, yeah, so I mean, that's a little bit of backstory on the project. No, that's pretty, that's cool. And, you know, when you said you were in advertising um, and stuff like that and overlap with sociology, I find that to be so true. Uh, because every time, like sometimes when I have time and space to do some leisure reading, even like last spring, I always find myself enjoying books dealing with like marketing and advertising. I think one book I read recently last spring was like Start With Why um, and just like the little stories and anecdotes they give in there about how marketing works and the social, ser- not the social service, but the uh, sociological elements of consumerism and trying to figure out, you know, even the social psychology of people and, and what how to target particular markets. I just always found that pretty fascinating so so yeah i'm not surprised no to talk about the overlap with both of those for sure yeah definitely i mean i one thing i was struck by you know when i initially started grad school and still to this day because i have friends you know who i knew from when i work in advertising that i'm still friends with um is actually the overlap in terms of the kind of topics people are interested in the kind of methods and techniques people use to do research um there are, you know, a lot of the tools, uh, both qualitative and quantitative, actually, uh, that social scientists use, not just sociologists, uh, but certainly sociologists um, use, are also being deployed by people in advertising and marketing. Actually, the, a lot of the people I used to work with had PhDs. Like, it was not uncommon for people to have PhDs or to be ADD um, and then working in market research and advertising. So it always struck me as, like, this really um, sort of uh, pleasant surprise in some ways because it was kind of like, oh, okay, I, you know, um, in some ways academia wasn't as alien to me as I was expecting it to be because of my experiences uh, previously working. But it's definitely the case that, you know, people on both sides of the private sector and academia in some ways have some really sort of misconceptions about what the other side does. And so that was always kind of humorous because I felt like <laughs> you all are kind of the same folks, but I think you are real different, <laughs> but it's not that different. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. So yeah, speaking about like, you know, uh, methodologies and research focus, just tell us a little bit of how you gain access to this population of black Republicans um, for your book. Yeah, that was actually one of the big challenges of the book, um, or the project overall, was uh, getting access, actually like finding people to talk to. So when I initially conceived of the project, um, and this was my dissertation research, right, that um, I ended up turning into a book. So when I initially conceived of the project, I was in grad school, and I had sort of envisioned, you know, I was going to do, you know, um, 
a rand I was gonna find a random nationally representative sample of black Republicans and I was gonna interview them. And you know, I had these sort of like big ambitious plans um that kind of sort of started to break down once I, you know, sort of got us got to thinking about how, you know, rare this population actually is, right? And what's the likelihood of um as a unfunded graduate student, or at least I didn't have like a grant or anything to cover my dissertation research, you know, do this sort of large scale, random nationally representative survey. Um, so what I ended up doing was building the study around looking at activists, right? So political activists, either people who hand raise um, as being activists for Republican politics or Sometimes people were, you know, I'm engaged in black politics um, and I just happen to be Republican, right? So it ended up being the study of political activists. And I wanted to look at sort of the importance of political context to the experiences of black Republicans. So it ended up, uh, I talked to people in a red state, a blue state, and a swing state. So the focus isn't so much on, you know, um, why are black people Republican, right? Like in a lot of times the conversations around black Republicans do kind of uh, focus on, you know, what I think about is like the intake question, right? Like why aren't more people black Republicans or how can anyone be a black Republican, right? So my work is built around instead shifting the focus a little bit, right? And shifting from this, like, why aren't more black people Republican instead to looking at what's it like to be black and Republican, right? So um, what I wanted to do was get a sense of the experience of what's it like to be black and in the Republican Party or identify as a Republican. Because um, one of the things I learned is that, you know, the extent to which um, black Republicans consider themselves, quote unquote, in the Republican Party isn't consistent and in fact varies uh, pretty significantly. So, right. So, yeah, so I, I pretty much structured the project, like I said, around this question of what's it like to be black and Republican um, and then looking at, you know, how does that experience vary depending on the political context in which you're doing it? Mm, that's very interesting and important. Uh, I know a lot of people are probably focused right now, like you said, on on the, the first question of like, how could you or, you know, how can we right. get more instead of like, what is that experience like? And like seeing some of the lives um, from like the, the leadership conference, the Republican leadership conference turning point this past weekend, you know, no, I, right. I really was like, what is it like to be there and be in that room? So, right, you right. Know. And in some ways, yeah, and in some ways, I think, I think, you know, the looking at the what's it like question actually does provide some insight into, you know, why don't more people do it, right? Like, that wasn't necessarily the goal of the research, but I do think, for me, coming out of it um, and having a sense of what it's like to be Black and Republican kind of illustrates why more people don't do it. Right? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, the book isn't certainly isn't written as a guy, a how-to guide, like how to get more black people into the Republican Party or how to keep black people out of it. But I do feel like, you know, hearing the stories of black Republicans, you start to get a sense of why, you know, this is um, a path less traveled, so to speak, right? And it's, you know... I mean, I guess it's in some ways complicated, in some ways not complicated. But yeah, so I definitely think, you know, um, by looking at the experiences of black Republicans, you kind of 
come to understand maybe, you know, why the numbers look the way they do. And I do think, you know, in some ways, um, I gathered this data, you know, before, like pre-Trump, right? Um, but I do think some of the insights from it, the broader insights, actually um, help explain in some ways why we're sort of seeing, you know, the kinds of black Republicans who have emerged on the scene in the Trump era, right? It's sort of mm -hmm. a, a new face of black Republicans, if you will. Um, and that's been really interesting in some ways to, to sort of see. It's been, you know, especially it's like when you're not in the field, so it's like you kind of see it with these sort of fresh outsider eyes. Uh, but it's definitely, I feel like, consistent with some of the stories uh, I saw when I was, you know, talking to black Republican activists. Um, sort of why people like Candace Owens and Diamond and Silk and I guess Kanye West, right, have sort of emerged as the face of what it means to be black and Republican. Mm, mm. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get it. We're, we're definitely going to get into that. But I, before we, like, uh, I guess, get too far into, like, you know, what is that experience like now? And, it, you know, when yeah. you were collecting data, I do want to provide the audience with a little bit of context um, about, like, uh, black Americans' history with the Republican Party and the migration to the Democratic Party, because I know recent um, Republican activists, Black activists, have really um, kind of relied on that history to try to motivate Black people to join, to say, like, you know, this was the party of Lincoln, this was the party of freedom, we were, you know, all or mostly Republicans at one point. Um, and so can you provide a little context for um, our listeners, especially since that is a, a, a key talking point now among recent Republican activists? Yeah, yeah, I can definitely talk about that a little bit. Uh, and I mean, and I should sort of say, you know, for me, I was not necessarily focused on giving a historical count per se. Um, and definitely, you know, uh, Leah Wright Ricker and uh, Joshua Farrington both have like awesome historical accounts of blacks in the Republican Party. Um, but for me, I was interested in contemporary stuff. But to understand the contemporary black Republicans, it actually does help to have a little bit of this history, right? And so, right. So, you know, at the start of the Republican Party, right, like black people were sort of central to the founding of the party and issues relating to black people more directly, right, uh, were central to the origins of the Republican Party. And for, you know, a very long time, the majority of blacks were identified in voting for African, I'm sorry, voting for Republicans, right? The Republican Party was sort of the party, you know, this sort of party of Lincoln that gets trotted out these tropes, right? There is certainly, you know, that's in that, yeah, lines up historically. Uh, what I was interested in was sort of this issue of when being black and Republican sort of became unexpected, right? So, because actually people talk about like the sort of total shift of like when, you know, blacks start, because blacks start leaving the Republican Party in the like 1930s, right? Like around the New Deal. Right? And so do you have, you know, you're no longer getting the majority of black people voting for Republican presidential candidates, say, for example. And it's probably worth noting that, you know, the rarity of black supporting Republicans is pretty much, you know, I mean, at national politics level, things get a little more complicated when it comes to like local and state politics. Um, 
But it's fair to say that, you know, um, the majority of black people haven't been voting for Republicans, like as a presidential candidate, since the 1930s, right? But it wasn't until like 1964 or so that the idea of a black person being a Republican sort of um, took on this impression of um, oddity. I guess that's a fair way to describe it, right? Because it's interesting what, to think about, right? For a long time, um, even when blacks weren't, you know, throwing the majority of their support behind the Republican Party, plenty of black people were voting for Republicans, right? So, you know, where you see numbers now where, you know, 10 or less percent of blacks voting for Republican presidential candidates, that's the post-1960s thing, right? There was a long period, you know, between, say, the 1930s and the 1960s where the majority of blacks weren't voting for the Republican Party, but plenty of blacks were. Right. And it wasn't perceived as like this sort of crazy thing that needs to be called out. Like that's a fairly, um, you know, that doesn't emerge until, say, like the Goldwater election. Right. And sort of and the the Republican Party's perceived um, and actual antithesis or antagonism with the Civil Rights Act. Right. Um, And so that's the point at which, you know, that interests of black people and the interests of the Republican Party are positioned as, you know, antithetical to one another. Oh, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, you know, when we look at kind of even what you're getting to post-1964, I guess, overall views and opinions of, of black Republicans, um, and, you know, even today, I think a lot of it, of course, has to do with media and, you know, what outlets put certain faces out there to say and support certain narratives and then you know being from myself and other you know in the circles and and, you know people around me how upset people get when they hear certain things um from people on some of these conservative networks and things of that nature especially when it's coming from people in the black community um it can be really upsetting a lot but right i think there's a lot to it those are we're just taking kind of maybe the tip of the iceberg, right, of, of who makes up the black Republicans and then overgeneralizing to some extent, right? I think that is partially the truth because of what we see and not really understanding the nuance of what may be involved within the black uh, the black black Republicans, period. So based on your research, what do you think or what did you find or what are some of the major myths and misconceptions about black Republicans um, from, from what you've seen? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, what you said makes a lot of sense and certainly, you know, um, hews pretty closely uh, to the account I give in the book. Right. And so and part of what I want to say is, like, you know, in the book, what I was trying to do is sort of examine how people link, you know, uh, racial identity and partisanship. Right. Like, how do people make black and Republican go together? Um, and how do these black Republican activists do that work, right? So I might mean, sort of argue that, you know, um, identity politics or like linking a social identity like race with a kind of politics like Republicanism is a social achievement, right? Like it's not sort of a given that blacks have to be anything, right? Like it takes work to make that happen. And what's interesting about black Republicans is because it's so rare, the work is more obvious, right, the work of linking blackness and republicanness um, is more transparent in some ways. And what was striking to me was that, you know, 
there are multiple ways to do that, to make black and Republican go together. Um, but each of, there are sort of two strategies. One um, in the book I call uh, sort of race blind and the other I call race conscious. Um, and what's interesting is like for race blind, so right, so there's this idea that all black Republicans aren't the same, right? Which, you know, seems like in some ways a rudimentary kind of insight, but I do think, um, is an important one because it's sort of inconsistent with the public perception of black Republicans. Um, and so I guess what I was most struck by probably was the infighting among black Republicans. Um, and then the fighting between black Republicans and their white Republican counterparts. And so I can talk a little bit about both those things because they're, you know, related to one another and also related to our sort of the image that we get of black Republicans. So, right. So, um, there are two kinds of black Republicans, which the one group I call race blind, these are essentially, you know, generally what we think of when we think of black Republicans, right? Like their story is sort of like race doesn't matter, right? Black people need to stop talking about racial injustice and racial inequality and sort of focus on personal failings or like community failings and get right sort of with ourselves, right? Um, and the Republican Party becomes the best way to do that because the Republican Party is not about identity politics and the Republican Party doesn't want to talk about race, right? And, you know, the, and so these are sort of, you know, race doesn't matter, black Republicans, right? And generally, when we think about, you know, which black Republicans end up in the spotlight, they kind of articulate a variant of this message, right? It's not that actual message itself. Um, and you can contrast that approach, this sort of race-blind approach, with a race-conscious approach where, you know, blackness is centered in the politics, right, for these race-conscious black Republicans. For them, they, you know, talk about, you know, their politics is a black politics, right? And what they want, it's just sort of like they think the best thing for black people is conservative social policy, right? That sort of supports businesses and family and curtails the role of the state because the state gets coded as white, right? And the best thing for black people is less white involvement in their lives. And so you can think about the race conscious black Republicans as sort of articulating a black power through conservative principles kind of message, right? And so you have these two competing approaches of linking blackness and republicanness, um, uh, the sort of, you know, uh, race blind, saying race doesn't matter, race conscious, saying black power is a conservative principle. And what happens is, you know, when Fox News, say, needs a black Republican on TV, they call the guy who says race doesn't matter, not the guy who says black power through conservative principles, right? Um, and part of that, I think, has to do with, you know, the role that uh, sort of white Republicans have identified for black Republicans within the party. Mm, that That is so fascinating. And it... it clearly shows that your work moves beyond kind of like black Republicans or Uncle Tom's like, you know, that trope, which seems like overly simplistic based on your analyses. Um, but it just goes to show sure. that the, the media is very vested in, um, you know, putting certain uh, images of black Rep Republicans forward. 
Certainly. Yeah. And I definitely, I mean, I think it's, you know, certainly overly simplistic uh, to sort of, to be like, oh, all black Republicans are Uncle Tom's, especially if you think about, you know, like the Uncle Tom. Like, so this is this idea that black Republicans are somehow less black than their, you know, non-Republican counterparts, right? Like black people who aren't Republicans. And that was definitely inconsistent with what I found. I mean, the black Republicans I talked to, you know, sort of, articulated a sense of linked fate, like they felt connected to other black people. They were certainly, you know, um, lived in black neighborhoods, went to black churches. Um, for most, I would say there was this like articulation of uh, like culturally black, but not politically black uh, mm. in some way. Well, right. So it was like, you know, it was important to go to be in black communities and engaged in black cultural institutions. And they wanted their kids to go to integrated schools, right? Like the goal wasn't necessarily to, you know, be in white spaces or just to be only around white people. Right. Um, it's just that the difference was for some black Republicans, right. Specifically for those race blind black Republicans, there was a sense that my blackness doesn't have to define my politics. Right. Um, and so I think to the extent that, you know, it's a, I guess a broad definition of like what makes someone an Uncle Tom, right? But like if you're saying that, you know, it's less black to decenter blackness in your politics, then for race blind black Republicans, it would be fair to call them less black, right? Um, now, I think the interesting dynamic here is why is it that we only hear about black Republicans who are articulating a message of, you know, race blindness or color blindness or sort of saying race doesn't matter, right? So another way to think about the difference between these sort of um, race conscious and race blind black Republicans is the race conscious black Republicans, those black Republicans who say, you know, the best thing for black people is conservative social policy because that's going to uplift black communities, right? What they see their goal as these activists is changing the GOP changing the Republican Party, right? Making the Republican Party more hospitable to black interests. Whereas the colorblind, the race-blind black Republicans, right, those who are saying race doesn't matter, they see their goal as changing black people, right? Mm. Like trying to make black people more conservative, right? Make black people embrace the Republican Party as it stands. And so, you know, with this sort of, these two different approaches, right? It makes it difficult for them to work, those two groups of black Republicans to work together, right? For one, but it also means that, you know, the race blind folks are going to have much more easy and positive relationships with white Republicans, right? And so, you know, it's going to be much easier for them to build alliances and networks and connections to resources and attention and platforms with white Republicans. And the thing is, the only way we hear about a black Republican is through white Republicans, right? Like our channels for, you know, access and uh, attention, right, are for black Republicans, they're granted by white Republican gatekeepers, right? So on some level, you kind of have to, you know, pass through those filters Right. You have to pass through the filters of white Republican gatekeepers before you can get opportunities as a black Republican. Mm -hmm. that, so that's, um, you know, in some ways, oh, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You finish. 
Well, I was going to say, and so you know, linking back to your that your point about you know why you know the sort of media sort of focuses on certain kinds of Black Republicans, but that's partly why, right? Like because mm-hmm. the ones that um, the ones we hear about um, are ones who talk about blackness and Republican partisanship in ways that fit comfortably with sort of the impressions and the beliefs and the interests, right, of white Republican gatekeepers. Mm. So, so, so you got to make... Oh, oh yeah, go no, ahead. no, you go, because you, you, <laughs> you're on a roll, like you're on a I'm trying to make it more of a conversation, but like one of the things, and you asked about access earlier, right, and so that sort of point... What was really fascinating, as hard as it was to find black Republicans, the, a real challenge of the project was actually getting white Republicans to talk about black Republicans in the party, right? And so, you know, I went to a lot of conferences and, like, you know, things like this um, uh, talking point event, right? Like, I went to a lot of those for a while. And, you know, whenever... Um, Black Republicans were often eager to talk, right? Like, they sort of wanted to get their stories out there. They wanted to be heard. But whenever I would try to talk to white Republicans, like, once they found out what I was doing, right, it was, you know, kind of iced out. Like, that was not uncommon. Um, And getting any to go on the record um, was incredibly difficult. So, right. So, and I think partly that is because there is, um, you know, the... Eh, the role that black Republicans play within the party, right, is not necessarily sort of clearly articulated. Um, but I think there is, you know, a sense within the party that, you know, who are they there for? Are they there to get more black people engaged in Republican politics? Or are they there to make white Republicans, you know, feel comfortable about the racial messaging that comes out of the party? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's really good. I, I was wondering, because, you know, you talk a, a lot about race, um, but I was wondering, were there any interesting gender dynamics that uh, you uncovered in your study? Um, yeah, so overwhelmingly, the activists I talked to were men. Um, and so, you know, and to be fair, you know, like it was a convenient sample of activists, right? And sort of built up through Snowball. Like I talked to someone and then have them tell me who else I should talk to. Um, so it's probably biased in that way. But it was definitely the, so the gender aspects of this is that, you know, it's a universe of black men engaged in this politics, right? Uh, black men who are hashing this out. And in some ways, the most interesting gender dynamic to me was when black Republicans talk about the problems that black people face, right? Like those problems tend to get gendered, right? Like so when black Republicans talk about black people generically, right? Like they're talking about black men. They're talking about the problems that black men face. Um, And in that regard, it was sort of striking the extent to which black problems got coded as male problems in the context of black Republican activism. Um, so yeah, so I mean, so in some ways, right, there, there is a gender story there. Um, I, you know, 
given the data I have and the way I collected it, I'm not necessarily positioned to say, you know, are men more likely to do this than women? Um, I looked at some survey data that does suggest that that's the case. Um, but I think there's a parallel gender story among black Republican activists that is like the problems of black America get gendered as the problems of black men. And I think that definitely has consequences, both for uh, how black Republicans articulate, you know, black interests, but also for how they link those interests to Republican partisanship. And then furthermore, how the Republican Party then gets to use black Republican activists. So in some ways, actually, I think it's kind of interesting right now that, you know, the a lot of the faces of black Republicanism in 2018, right, are actually women. Um, so that in some ways is interesting and kind of um, runs a little bit counter to what I would have expected. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I think, too, uh, going along those lines, just even kind of going through the the traditional race, class, and gender, I do want to touch on the class portion a little bit um, because I, and for me, or my perspective, I do, I feel like maybe class might be somewhat of a predictor to involvement potentially with uh, the Republican Party as far as blacks. I mean, of course, you know, we'll probably talk about some of the black celebrities and people with money who may go towards that. But I remember um, from a, a narrative in your book from Antidote where uh, I think it was a black guy who who was raised around, of course, his black family, but also raised in a family that was pretty much dem uh, voted for Democrats and were liberals. But then mm -hmm. I think when he got his own business, a small business, started to pay attention to things like tax policies and stuff like that and overreaching the government. And then that's when he became involved in the government. So I'm thinking access to certain privileges, whether to do with class, whether to do with business, um, is that does that play a role as far as uh, their involvement with, with the con conservative uh, party? Yeah, so I mean, I'll tread lightly here because, okay. right, so the people I talk to, um, like I said, not like a random sample and certainly probably not representative of all black Republicans, right? Like these are people, I mean, so essentially everyone I talked to was middle class or upper middle class, right, at the time that I talked to them. Okay. Uh, so these are people, you know, mostly college educated who had time, free time to be engaged in politics as essentially like a hobby, you know? Um, so, right. So these are sort of middle class folks for sure. Um, and they definitely would often, you know, sort of link their, um, Republican, they sort of fold their Republican partisanship into this narrative of like, you know, once was blind, but now I see, right. And it's sort of like, Oh, you know, I didn't know any better, but then I sort of, you know, had my own experiences with, um, you know, sort of uh, taxes, or I ran, tried to run my own business, right? And this was definitely, this sort of once was blind, but now I see narrative, was definitely more prominent among the race-blind black Republicans, right? Um, but yeah, but the survey data, the, the question is actually a little more murky, right? Like the, there isn't necessarily this linear relationship between class and Republican partisanship, right? Where it's like people who make more money are more likely to be Republican. Um, unlike when you look at surveys of white people where that is the case, it's less clear with African-Americans. Um, I've seen some studies that show that, you know, 
the richest blacks are more likely to be Republican and the poorest blacks are more likely to be Democrats, but that's sort of the tail end of the income distribution. But in the middle, income isn't a good predictor of which blacks are more likely to be Republican. And some of the analysis I did of uh, some survey data is pretty consistent with that, where like income wasn't a great predictor of which blacks were more likely to be Republican. And in fact, things like education, um, the more education you had, the more likely you were to be liberal for African-Americans. So the class story actually um, doesn't sort of um, hew as tightly as um, we sort of think it is. Now, I don't have, now I'm just wildly, speculating. So, you know, apply the podcast musing filter to this. Um, (laughs) But I think in some ways it might be sort of strongly correlated with like projected class aspirations, right? So like, you know, um, the uh, folks who sort of talk about, you know, wanting to do super big things and make a lot of money and, you know, uh, be uh, big business owners or whatever in black communities might lean towards Republicanism or be sympathetic towards some Republican policies. Um, but the, you know, sort of this where I want to be versus where I am dichotomy might be coming into play a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so I guess that's, that's a really long winded way of saying, it. I think, you know, the gender story, definitely the black Republicanism, you know, uh, is male in a lot of ways, uh, both in terms of the people who do it, but also in terms of, you know, the rhetoric around it. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's, you know, as class, like, I don't think this is as sort of like an upper class thing. Like it's not just upper class blacks who are doing this. Mm, that's really interesting. And it also makes me think about not just uh, black Republicans, but also um, white Republicans that are poor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. just thinking about how it seems somewhat contradictory when you consider your current class station. And this is me passing judgment. Yes, it is. But, you know, it seems like you're voting against your own best interests. I know you have aspirations, but, in, you know, maybe right. until then, like, <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> so this actually, yeah, no, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. And I think in some ways this taps into one of the, what I hope is sort of like bigger points of the book or one of the things that comes out of the book, right? Like oftentimes we, you know, sort of ask about the presence or absence of an identity to try to understand like uh, how it applies to people's politics, right? And so we ask, you know, is this person black? Yes, no. If yes, I can tell you what their politics are going to be like. Or is this person poor? Yes, no. If yes, I can tell you what their politics are going to be like or what they should be like. What I found was that in some ways, it's a lot more important to ask, what does this identity mean to you, right? Like, what does it mean to be black? And the thing is, it's that, you know, for Blackness doesn't have the same meaning for all black people, right? And that variation is important to pay attention to because that's the, the variation in the meanings that people attach to blackness, you know, are connected to the importance that people attach to blackness. Um, and so if we can, you know, attend to that variation, we actually might give more depth and insight into how uh, race informs politics. 
And I suspect the same kind of thing is happening right now for working class people, right? And so that same insight that I, you know, talk about in this book of like, it's important to know the meaning that black people attach to blackness, I think also um, transcends to class, right? Like, so right now, I think it's actually really important to have a sense of what does it mean to working class white folks to be working class, right? Like what kind of meanings do they attach to their class identity? I suspect a lot of those meanings are actually kind of racialized, which is how you end up with, you know, white working class people saying, I'm going to support a party that gives, you know, tax cuts to billionaires and not to me. Right. And so it's not enough to just know, like, are you in this group? But I think it's important to know, like, what does membership in that group mean to you? I mean, I don't know. I, that also might just be random. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so, you know, you know, I'm just curious, right, to know your thoughts. And we've been seeing, one, this whole situation with Kanye West going in the headlines for a while now, especially Kanye and his relationship with, with Donald Trump. Um, and of course, wearing the MAGA hat, and as and as a recent too, you know, the there was this conference in, you know, I think it was D.C. Right, or a bunch of, uh, I think it was a Republican conference. There's a lot of black Republicans there. I seen a lot of pictures all over social yeah. media. Yeah, a lot of black yeah. Republicans wearing the MAGA hat. Um, and right, right. Be cautious of those-, those pictures though, because like a lot of that is sort of stage. I mean, well, it's all stage, right? But like the when I would go to these things, what I was always struck by was. Um, the extent to which, you know, a conference on black republicanism or a conference on race in the Republican Party that was seemingly thrown by like a black organization, when you show up there, the crowd is like 95% white, you know? Mm. Um, So, yeah, no, that was like regular, right? Um, In fact, it was rare that I would go to a black Republican event that would just be black Republicans. Mm. so, right. So, again, and this gets back to the question of who's the audience for these things. But, no, I, but I think, yeah, you sort of this issue of, like, yeah, what's happening right now. Right. So, um, to me, what's been striking is the way the face of black republicanism has evolved so quickly, right, with the Trump presidency. And this, you know, now I'm sort of, like, peddling um, – my own, or I guess drinking my own Kool-Aid, so to speak. Because I sort of say, this is consistent with what I find, that, right, like, your black Republicans are going to be a reflection of the white gatekeepers. And as, like, Mm -hmm. the leaders of the Republican Party change, you're going to, the black Republicans are going to sort of morph to look more in line with what party leadership is up to, right? So, it's no surprise to me that Kanye West and Diamond and Silk and Candace Owens, who are really good at cultivating celebrity, right, or leveraging celebrity, are becoming, you know, the face of black republicanism in 2018, partly because the face of the Republican Party in 2018 is about sort of cultivating celebrity and, like, um, sort of cult of personality kind of stuff, right? So... You know, one way to think about this is, you know, the Republican Party gets the black Republicans it deserves, right? (laughs) And so, like, the black Republicans tell you as much about what's happening in the Republican Party writ large as they do about what's happening 
in black communities. In fact, I think black Republicans tell you more about what's happening in the Republican Party writ large than they do about what's happening in black communities. Mm. So do you think that, because a lot of times, again, especially from the, I guess, president's office when we see people like Kanye and others and then Trump embrace them and then it's always usually followed by the rhetoric that this is helping him with the black vote or gaining you know or getting more blacks according to the polls and stuff like that do you think there's truth to that is this working is it helping Trump and his proof with black Americans uh, by, by I mean Texas all the polling or... data yeah all the polling data I've seen suggests no it's not you know okay. <laughs> um, and because partly it's you know I mean I think oftentimes in the rhetoric around black partisanship you know um, there's this narrative of like all black people just like do the same thing and you see this now right this sort of the Kanye West stuff right it's like break out of the plantation and don't just think like they tell you, right? And it seems striking to me that you would build an outreach to a group where the basis of it was essentially insulting them, right? And like saying, you just don't get it. Why are you being a lemming? Don't be so stupid, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That seems like, I mean, granted, maybe, you know, I spend too much time in advertising and I just think about everything from a marketing perspective, but that seems like a weird way to market to people is to say, like, you're an idiot. Do what I say. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if, like, your message is you're an idiot because you just do what other people say, right? Um, it's also the fact that, you know, that's empirically a questionable position, right? Like, it seems like, you know, Black people could certainly be, you know, sitting down with a pencil and paper, rationally calculating their interests and what votes make sense. And you would still end up with as many black people voting for Democrats as they do now. Right. So the I mean, and this is something I did take away from, you know, the research and uh, a lot of time I spent with these race conscious black Republicans where, you know, their message was the problem isn't black people. The problem is the party, right? And if the party wanted to talk about its policies in a way that, you know, linked them to the stuff that black people cared about, um, or if the party wanted to, you know, shift its policy position so that they were more in line with what, you know, black voters were interested in, then I think you would see, you know, there's the potential for some movement maybe, but, um, the current strategy seems to be like, we're going to keep doing the same thing, but, you know, have a celebrity face. Well, I, I don't see that making, you know, much inroad, right? And in fact, it seems like, you know, it's having the opposite effect, if anything. So no, so I don't necessarily think, you know, um, Kanye West going to the White House is going to prove to be this watershed moment in regards to, black partisanship. Um, I think, you know, the Republican Party is probably going to have to wrestle very deeply with, you know, um, how it manages to build winning coalitions, right? And as part of that, uh, they're going to, at some point, have to consider, you know, reaching out to minority voters. Though, you can argue that they can take an alternative strategy and just work to disenfranchise those voters, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. But, uh, something has to give, right? And I don't think that give is going to be about, you know, Kanye West or Amarosa. 
<laughs> oh lord and i guess really... omarosa's back on like the other side now so who knows yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm, mm, no comment <laughs> oh, man. Oh. i love it people are at the gate like you can't come back omarosa sorry <laughs> um so yeah it's it's interesting to see yeah i don't see a black wave coming in the republican party anytime soon and it's interesting that you talked about them needing to like strategize and think about coalition building because they actually uh, the republican party did this really large report i think it was in like 2012 or 2013 about how they really need to like you know come come along with the times and you need to focus on like other like demographics that are like growing and how they need to reach out to these people you know they need to get rid of some of this rhetoric you can find probably find it on like the rnc website and i'll no, yeah this. definitely yeah i think you know and they, that those kind of things uh come up with some regularity right so and this is one of the dynamics where it's like you know there certainly are people within the party who have been you know beating this drum for a while. And like I said, the majority of the activists I talk to, right, are what I would call race conscious, right? They're the very people sort of trying to spread this message within the party, right, that something has to happen. Um, But despite the, you know, presence of this knowledge and these reports, right, like it never manages to get traction, Um, partly because, you know, important... um, I guess constituencies within the party are just not, you know, interested, right? Um, and it's not just like black voters, right? I mean, I think probably a more pressing threat is like Latino voters. Um, and yeah, and it, yeah, so yeah, so you're right. There has been, you know, um, efforts to acknowledge, right, like the importance of increasing diversity in the country and how that's going to affect uh, political strategies. But a fair amount of that, you know, is, I mean, I don't want to, like, I guess, well, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but it's like sort of a little bit of lip service more than anything, right? Because this mm-hmm. is, and, right, and in some ways, what you're saying taps into the, I don't know if it's so much power of black Republicans within the party, but certainly the opportunities for black Republicans within the party, right? Is that even the Republican Party, right? has to engage in some performance of inclusion, right? So, like, and if it's only performance, I guess, you know, all the better for for some folks in the party. But the fact that there is even, like, a desire to have Black faces around creates an opportunity for Black Republicans, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, if you want to be that Black face around, you have to talk about blackness in a way that fits comfortably with what white people in the party want to hear. Yeah, not surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, to be fair, I mean, well, and not that it's not, it's not unfair, actually, uh, what I just said, but we can also think about how this dynamic plays out in a lot of different institutions and organizations, right? We can think about corporations, we can think about universities, we can certainly think about, like, the Democratic Party, right? Could a black leader in the Democratic Party talk about blackness in a way that, like, made white leaders in the Democratic Party uncomfortable? I mean, I suspect probably yes, like blacks have more power within the Democratic Party, but there's probably, you know, parameters around that. 
So, you know, I definitely think, you know, what I what I'm saying is like certainly applies to the Republican Party. But I think, you know, many institutions in the United States can be um, called to the mat for, you know, white people trying to manage how black people talk about blackness. I, I I absolutely agree. I, I absolutely agree. And that's why that's why we have BHD, so we can say what we want to say. <laughs> no, and it's interesting. I mean, because like even you know within the context of uh, Black Republicans, right? Like there often you know when Black Republicans had spaces where it was just them and they got to sort of be black not under the eye, watchful eye of white people, it was a very different vibe compared mm-hmm. to these meetings I would go to when it was like mostly white people and then like black Republicans were on the panel, but the audience was all white. Um, so there's certainly something too, right? Being able to have a space where you get to just be black and not have to worry about managing your blackness for white audiences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I think we've covered a lot here talking about, you know, black Republicans and your book. And I know our listeners got a lot out of it. And I'm sure people will be trying to look for what work you have forthcoming in the future. So, you know, what in the recent or upcoming projects are you are you working on and maybe releasing in the near future? Yeah, so uh, my next project uh, in some ways builds off some of the insights from the black Republican work and some of the stuff actually we were just talking about, right? Like being black in white spaces and how that's different from like being black in black spaces. Uh, so my next project is going to be a study of black professionals, uh, specifically black advertising professionals. So it's going to be a study of, um, what it's like to be black in advertising. I guess if you think about the Black Republican book is what it's like to be black in the Republican Party. The new project is like, what's it like to be black in corporate America? Um, And specifically thinking about sort of what happens when who you are and what you do um, overlap, right? When part of your job is bringing to bear insights around black consumers, black markets, um, how does that affect your relationship to blackness? But then also, how does having uh, black folks in corporate America work to alter perceptions around blacks as a group? So that's a new project. So if any of your listeners are um, in corporate America, in advertising, um, and want to talk, they should give me a shout out. You can find me on the Georgetown website or hit me up on Twitter. Um, I am about to get out and about and do the thing on the new project. So. <laughs> yeah, we need those. And it's funny because that leads right into the next question where I was about to ask, where can people reach you? Um, you said you're on Twitter. What's your handle? Oh, yeah. So it's Corey D. Fields, mm-hmm. B-O-R-E-Y-D-F-I-E-L-D-S. Um, at Corey D. Fields on Twitter, or actually, um, I have my own podcast uh, with my colleague Leslie Hinkson from Georgetown, and that's B Side underscore podcast. So if you're interested in black sociology stuff, you can give that a listen. Oh, nice. um, but yeah, so that's how you can sort of reach out if you like. 
Okay. Uh, and it's funny because I was going to ask you about that. I, when I went to your Twitter page, I saw the podcast and I was like, yo, that's cool. We'll definitely include a link to that. You can definitely slide in Dr. Phil's DMs if you want to be a part of that study. Uh, <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in that too. Just for the simple fact, you know, all the times we see all these failed advertising campaigns and you always hear to say, like, do they have any black, anybody black, you know? <laughs> on right, their, right, right, and just right, how, right. Or if it's, they uh, did, how do the black advertisers feel in that space when these campaigns are clearly crashing and failing you know trying to reach the black demographic too <laughs> exactly so this is yes you tapped into exactly the kind of things i'm going to be exploring with this project oh well, it sounds interesting i'll be on the lookout for sure yeah so exciting well thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us um it was a very very good conversation we want our listeners to cop the book we will include a link to that um check out the podcast check out the twitter account um all of that yeah yes and thanks for having me on yeah i love what you guys are doing happy to be here hopefully i'll do something interesting enough to get an invite back yes (laughs) for sure (laughs) All righty. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right, Dad. So what do you think about Dr. Fields and his work on the black elephants in the room? Um, I thought the conversation and the book was just so very timely. Um, I also think it's interesting that he wrote this book before like this black MAGA Trump explosion or... Mm -hmm. um, you know, the current movement to try to push black people into the Republican Party. And so it's interesting that he did this like really in-depth field work and had like such great insights into, you know, the dynamics of what's happening uh, with with everybody, um, black Republicans, white Republicans and, and everything in between. So I, I thought it was really interesting conversation and a lot to unpack. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, perfect timing um, with everything going on in the political atmosphere now and today with more discussion of black Republicans, mainly because of these celebrities faces, you know, being seen with Trump, which is probably more so than in the past. You know, it's usually just been what you've seen on like Fox News and those black Republican or conservative political commentators. But now because we're seeing people see celebrities, you know, I think those conversations are infiltrating the general public a little bit more than it has in the past. So it was good getting somebody, you know, who has studied this, written a book about it uh, to come, you know, drop some knowledge on what it's really like and for the black Republicans in this country. Mm-hmm. I appreciated uh, his comment about how staged some of these events are and how when you mm-hmm. go to when you go to them, a large part of the audience or a large proportion of the audience is white. And so I saw, you know, I, you know, I, I, it's not like I was worried or anything, but I saw these pictures and these live streams with all of these, you know, black people in there, make America great again hats. And I'm like, yo, this is, it looks like a movement. And it seems mm-hmm. like it's always there. There have always been these people that are at these conferences. But like you said, it's the celebrities that are now, you know, making it cool. And I, I just hope some other people, you know, just don't fall for the the media rhetoric and BS around um, this so-called right wing black Republican movement. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because um, uh, I remember, yeah, with the conference going on, I know you sent me um, some pictures. Some other people tagged me on social media as well <laughs> when it was going on. And so I was like, 
perusing through like the web, uh, you know, the, the social media accounts and stuff. And even with like the black Republican ones, it was funny because, yeah, you would see like those pictures that were getting viral and everybody was seeing them of just like a group of black folk wearing MAGA hats and whatever else. But then when I would see like pictures of like the entire conference or, you know, what was going on, it was way more white folk there <laughs> when it was like a group, um, you know, you saw the black folks scattered around. So it's like, yeah, so people were taking like those pictures of like, you know, a lot of the black folk and um, just like, you know, parading around like, look, we're here, Mary Maga hats and picture with Kanye and other folks. Um, so, yeah, you got to be kind of got to be careful of like what what is being shown to you and not overgeneralize to the extent like it is like this massive movement and it's growing um, over time. Like Dr. Phil said, it re- that really is just not the case of like mm-hmm. increased supports for, for the Republican Party. And I probably actually think it's the opposite, to be honest, more so. Yeah. But speaking of not generalizing, um, and it's something that we often like to do when we see black Republicans, partly because of who the media kind of elevates the, the voices that they elevate. Um, but I just really appreciated him kind of complicating uh, the narrative around who are black Republicans. So you have the all lives lives matter black Republicans and you have the black lives matter black Republicans. (laughs) And you know, I I can't be too hard on the black lives matter ones who are trying to change the party who, you know, he made a comment that was like, um, so, you know, Republican is like the, the small government and how that potentially translates into like this belief that like, OK, if we have smaller government, we have like less, you know, interference and interaction with the state that might be prejudiced or, you know, racist against us. He didn't exactly say those words, but, you know, it kind of got my brain like rolling. I was like, yo, mm-hmm. had not thought about I don't agree, <laughs> but I had not thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. I think a lot, a lot of what he talked about, uh, you know, isn't because I, you know, it's something I clearly I'm gonna have to work on, you know, because yes, the, one of the first things that come to mind when somebody says Black Republican, you know what I'm thinking, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, like you, like one of the questions, the Uncle Tom trope, and like, are you serious? How could you, you know? Especially, I guess, especially more so in this day and age with, with Trump. <laughs> I mean, I think it just exacerbates those feelings even, uh, even more. Um, but no, I think, you know, like he said, there is a group of black Republicans who are pushing to make the Republican Party more, hosp- like he said, more hospitable to black folks. And I think there's something that I think that's a good thing, you know, um, to push. Hey, because right now it feels like the black agenda doesn't care at all about black folks. I mean, the Republican mm-hmm. Party doesn't care all about black folks. Um, and so it's like if we have people in there, if they feel that way and they do care about the party, but they want black needs to be a part of the agenda, then that should happen. Because I also don't feel comfortable on the flip side that how sometimes it feels for the liberals and Democrats, how comfortable they are with just knowing that they're always going to get the black vote, right? Mm-hmm. And relying on that. And that's, that's also not fair, even though politically they seem to cater to our, towards our interests way more than Republicans. But at the same time, if they just always know they're going to get our votes and they can always just have that lip service. And, and if Republicans start to show who knows when that would be or how that would look like but you know maybe just tweak their message or do some things for the black community be on the same board because a lot of the stuff is just about just about being a human right and just um just having the proper civil rights and all that kind of stuff all things are pushing for and i know there's republicans that support that you know i don't think it's as polarized as we like the, the media likes to make it seem 
mm-hmm. when it comes to police brutality. Who who wants police brutality, right? Like who wants to support that Republican or Democrat, you know? And I know there's Republicans who are against police brutality. Um, and so we just need to kind of hear or see more of those. But like you said, because of those gatekeepers, we get them all lives matter, black folk, Republicans. Yeah, gatekeepers. <laughs> yeah, because I'm tired of seeing Z- uh, Cubic Zaconia and Rayon on my TV. The dominant <laughs> I, I don't want to see them. They had a documentary that came out about black Republicans a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I don't want them on my screen. <laughs> I do have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you think Omarosa is a All Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter Republican? I think she just an Omarosa Lives Matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, that's all she is. Boy, she be flip flopping like crazy, man. Whoever yeah. whoever paying her and putting money putting money in her pockets, she that's what she that's what she at. You know, yeah. she's just too funny. She's so obvious with that too. Yeah. What about Kanye? Black lives or all lives? Kanye, I, I, I again, it's funny because both of those same reaction. Kanye lives matter. You know, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Nobody else matters as far as what they do in their perspective. So I feel like some of the loudest like Republican, black Republicans in this movement or that worked for like the administration are, are trying to prop them up. They are actually, I think, just concerned with like gaining fame. And because mm-hmm. I know like for real, Ty, it could be very lucrative if me and you were to like come out and be like, oh, yeah, Republicans, <laughs> all of that. Like, just think about how fast we would go viral and go on. We'd be on Fox News every week. The come up. <laughs> That's a come up. And it's kind of like, is. if you're willing to sell your soul. <laughs> on a MAGA hat with BHD shirt. <laughs> Yo, when I tell you, child, we, we would be famous. Oh my famous. goodness. That'd be too funny. Yeah, get them podcast numbers way up, boy. <laughs> <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. Uh, no, that's not what we stand for. You wouldn't catch me doing that, man. Not catching yeah. me. That's funny. But even as he was talking, I was thinking about like, you know, I've seen shows recently begin to tackle this subject matter more. Um, I don't remember. I know it was like two or three shows. I know one was like an episode of Blackish where Junior was like running for like, or becoming like a part of the Black Republican, Black Republican Club party or something in his school. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, his parents had an issue with that. And I, I want to say if it was, it was like an episode of Atlanta or something similar along those lines, maybe not Atlanta, where they were like, talking to a black family who were black Republicans, but, you know, they went in there ready to go in on them. But a lot of their perspectives, they shared a lot of the similar interests, but they, it was more about being more fiscally conservative for them, Mm -hmm. but they were still socially liberal in a lot of ways. And that confused, you know, the liberals who were going over there, like to to think they were going to get into this big debate. Um, (laughs) So even with shows like that, I think it just, they're good. It's good as doing, because it's showing that, Hey, like, Within the black Republicans, uh, Republicans that are black, they still there's many of them who still care about the same issues we do. It's just that we never get to see them. Yeah, but I'll just say Junior lost. Anyway, <laughs> he, he lost in a lot of ways. So yeah, of especially in this season, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I yeah, this this was a good conversation. Um, yeah, very good conversation. And I, I want to talk more. Oh. You know what? We got to get the link uh, to those books um, or those authors where people can get a little bit more history and insight into uh, the black uh, Republican Party, you know, pre-1930s. I'm going to we're going to put those up. 
Yeah, put those up. Maybe we even try to reach out to one or two of those authors too and see if they want to come chat. Yes, because we got to do the education, y'all. You know, yeah. history is important because it, you know, helps us learn. And my biggest thing is you don't have to be, you know, stagnant. You don't have to stay somewhere, even if you're being treated wrong. And I know that's how a lot of uh, people are feeling now about the Democratic Party. But what I will say is you have to be strategic. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You cannot burn the house down, you know, just because the microwave or the refrigerator <laughs> needs fixing. Like, yeah. no, you can you can fix the those things without like just trashing the whole kitchen or burning the whole house down. Yes. Um, and that's kind of how I feel yeah. uh, about things. Mm-hmm. You, no, you are not going to find me voting for no Trump. <laughs> how could you? How could you? Yeah, Republicans got a long way before stealing my vote, you know, yeah. a long way. But, but it's not that I would, you know, be never open to it, but I don't think we're, we're close to that yet. But yeah, I agree. Even with just Democrats, People, they, you know, they're not perfect. They need to do more. And, you know, we can hold them accountable, but it does not mean that you, one, run all the way to the other side or two, you don't vote at all. And then we all, you know, SOL because yeah. I like Trump up here. Uh, anyway. All right. So, so, so great conversation. I want to thank Dr. Fields for coming in, chatting with us again. We'll be paying attention to his future work. Um, as always, you know, follow us on social media at BHD Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, review us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes if you haven't. Okay. As well, go to our website, www.blackandhighlydangerous.com to follow our and keep up with our latest content. Email us. Um, at uh, bhdpodcast at gmail.com if you have ideas or you want to be a part of the podcast. Remember, we do our listener guest episode at the end of every month. We're serious about that. So come on, email us, contact us, and we'll bring you on to talk about whatever your expertise in and the current events for that month as well. And continue to um, wear your... Uh, your shirts and your hoodies and all that stuff. All of you have been posting it and we've been sharing it on our social media. So we really appreciate all the support. Uh, the link still works. If you want to still buy some more shirts, uh, people have still been doing it and, and then posting it. So go ahead and continue to support. And all those proceeds are still going to United Negro College Fund. So, you know, keep doing it, keep doing it. We appreciate all the support. And eventually, once we collect them all, I'll definitely put them up on the website. But they they definitely have been going up immediately on um on Instagram and stuff like that. So go check it out if you haven't seen it already. Um, and as always, share us with your friends, share us with your friends, share us with your family, and share, and share us with your enemies and continue yeah. to be the oppressor's worst fear. And black Republicans too. <laughs> <laughs> If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.